right, gang, good morning and happy new year to all of you. Uh, if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to 2 Kings and the 6th chapter. Go to 2 Kings chapter 6. We'll get there in just a, a moment. I am really glad to see a new year upon us. Uh, I think most of us probably feel that way. The last two or three years have been pretty hard on us. It's been pretty difficult, and so the idea of something new, something fresh, putting more distance between ourselves and the events of the last two or three years is a good thing. 2023 represents brand new opportunities. It represents brand new challenges. It represents brand new possibilities. I mean, think about it. With all of the the, the overhyped COVID concerns that we've dealt with in the last few years, uh, with all of the political division across the landscape of the United States, uh, a struggling economy on many levels, my only concern is that the last few years may have sucked so much life out of us that we fail to realize that 2023 is here, and in 2023, things can be very, very different. Ours is definitely a culture of apathy and pessimism. You don't have to look very far. You can't miss it. In fact, if you've fallen prey to our culture's overwhelming pessimism, you've come to the right place. Maybe you've been lulled into a sense of self-pity and weariness. We are so blessed to have caught this at just the right time so as to avoid any further uh, failure to dream because dreams are important. We all dreamed when we were little children, but somehow as life beats us up, as life stresses our very nerves and nervous system, we lose sight of our way. We forget what it is to set goals, to look forward to something new, something fresh, something that's better. That's what 2023 can represent to most of you. Now, I know many of your personal situations and circumstances, and I know you've been under the gun. You've been caring for ailing parents for the last few years. You've been dealing with an outside stressor that has made your life miserable for some time now. You are looking forward to something better, something brighter, and something more hopeful. There's a man by the name of Philip Knight who back in the 1960s had a dream. He wanted to pursue a career that fueled his passions. In other words, he wanted a job that he loved. Well, he was a runner, a cross-country runner, so he decided to, to import tennis shoes from Japan and sell them out of the back of his station wagon in Portland, Oregon. Now, he was a financially astute auditor. Mr. Knight knew how to balance the books. So he knew that he could buy the shoes in Japan and then sell them in the U.S. and make a profit. He started a company. And today, Nike is worth billions of dollars, and yet the startup cost was less than $1,000 and a dream. Now, I suppose that New Year's messages are about as predictable as Christmas messages in the church. Everybody knows what's coming. New Year's messages are like Easter messages. It's that time of the year, so you assume you know what I'm going to talk about. Frankly, you probably do, but don't let that stop me from challenging you today because 2023 could be your best year yet. You see, whether or not you're a resolution person, I'm not really a resolution person. All of us, however, subconsciously hope for something better, hope for bigger and better in 2023. We are hoping, whether we ever communicate it to anyone or not, it's a subconscious way of looking at life. We are hoping that things, our things, are going to be better in 2023 than they were in 2022. And there's no reason why they can't. 
When we were kids, I mentioned earlier, we all knew how to dream. We all knew how to play with imaginary friends. We could see things when we were six that other people just couldn't see. A cardboard box to an eight-year-old can be a fort. It can be a castle. You can fend off an invading army with a BB gun or a slingshot if you're six, seven, or eight. Children see monsters in their closet, or at least they believe monsters are in the closet. I read about a little five-year-old boy who every night complained that a monster was in his closet until finally the dad had had enough. Trying to get this kid to go to sleep was next to impossible. So after trying everything that father could try, he decided, I'm going to put on a mask, not too scary, but enough to get my child's attention, and I'm going to hide in that closet. And when I scare my five-year-old boy, then I'm going to pull the mask off, and he's going to realize that monsters aren't real, that monsters are make-believe. So the dad, just about 10 minutes before the little boy was to go to bed, he slipped up into the bedroom, he put the mask on, and he got into the closet. The little boy, however, was wound up, and mom couldn't get him to settle down. His little sister had just thrown up her dinner on the coffee table. The boy's running around. The phone's ringing. It takes almost an hour for her to get her up, get that little boy upstairs and into bed. Well, it wasn't 10 minutes after that. The little boy comes walking down the stairs into the family room and says, there's a monster in my closet. But he didn't seem upset. He didn't even seem frightened. He turned right around and walked right back up the stairs. And the mother said, hang on, honey. Aren't you afraid of the monster in your closet? He said, no, not really. He's wearing dad's bathrobe and he's asleep on the floor. <laughs> I can remember being young and dreaming big. Maybe you can as well. Dreams are important. We can learn a lot from our kids, the children that are around us. Maybe you've forgotten how to dream. Maybe you've forgotten how to set goals, how to reach for something bigger, something better. Let me ask you a question. Could you right now jot down three goals, three dreams for 2023 because you put thought into them. You've been turning it over in your mind for some time. Do you have them written down somewhere? Could you do it today for me if I asked you? Charles Paul Kahn in a book, Making It Happen, he wrote, in your own private moments of dreaming and wishing, what can you see yourself achieving? Now, let's get outside the box here. We're not just talking about business. We're talking about family life. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about a relationship between a parent and a child. We're talking about retirement. We're talking about financial security. What can you see yourself achieving? Whatever it is, however impossible it seems, whatever the obstacle that lies between you and it, if it is noble, if it is consistent with God's kingdom, you must hunger after it and stretch yourself to reach it. You see, the realization of all of our dreams boils down to whether or not you can see them in the first place. If you can't see it, you're never going to achieve it. If you can't visualize accomplished fact, you'll never own it. You'll never achieve it. Look, some of you have decided that 2023 is the year you're going to lose some weight. I had a conversation with a young man last week. He wants to lose 50 pounds in 2023. I said, great, great. Can you visualize yourself 50 pounds lighter? He said, oh, man, that's just overwhelming. I don't know that I can do it. I said, let me ask you this. Can you see yourself 10 pounds lighter by February? Can you see yourself 20 pounds lighter by Easter? We broke it down into smaller, more achievable goals. And as soon as he could see himself, I believe he'll start going after it. Because if you can't see yourself shedding weight, getting healthier, you're never going to achieve it. If you can't visualize your wife and you never fighting over money, 
because somehow you've relieved some of that financial stress. If you can't see it, you're never going to achieve it. If you can't visualize, if you can't see a strong marriage, if you can't see a unified family, if you can't see a healthy household, you're never going to achieve it. If you can't see a career change, if you can't see some new personal enterprise, look, if you can't see a strong faith walk, you're never going to achieve it because you have to see it in order to achieve it. Here's why that is true. It's the big idea for today. In life, we see what we're prepared to see. And typically, what we see, well, that's what we get. In life, you're only going to see what you're prepared to see. And typically, we get what we see. In life, if you can't see it, you're never going to get it. If you can't visualize it, it's never going to happen. In your life, however, if you're prepared to see it, you'll not only see it, most likely you can get it. Once again, if I can't imagine myself 15 pounds lighter and healthier, not going to see it. If I'm not prepared for financial security, I'm not going to experience it. If I can't see a stronger family, a more united home, I'm not going to achieve it. If I can't see that I'm capable of a stronger faith walk, I don't have to be blown around back and forth by situation and circumstance and other people. No, it can be different. We see what we're prepared to see, and often it's what we see, that's what we get. Today, my goal is to help you see it. Elisha is the prophet in 2 Kings chapter 6. And in this time in Israel's history, they're at war with the Syrians, uh, the Arameans. You're gonna, you're gonna, we're going to read about the Arameans. Basically, they're Syrians. Jehoram is the king of Israel, and Ben-Hada II is the king of Syria. The problem is, in the story we'll read in a moment, the king of Syria sets up traps for the Israeli army, but somehow God tells Elisha, to tell the king how to avoid all those traps. So when Ben-Hada sets up an ambush, Elisha tells the king, just avoid that place. Don't go there. Don't go to that city. That's where the enemy is. This happens so many times over and over and over again that Ben-Hada believes he's got a traitor in his midst. He believes his vice president or someone on his cabinet is actually spilling national secrets to Israel. Some of the kings in the Old Testament in Israel, they listened to God and God's prophet, and they were blessed because of it. Others did not, and they were punished because of it. Jehoram was a king who listened to God's prophet and was blessed. You see, God protected Israel in what we're about to read because the king listened to someone who had vision. The king listened to someone who could see something that other people could not. Look at chapter 6 of 2 Kings and verse 8. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. Okay, This is Syria against Israel. For a long time in Israel's history, she faced one enemy after another, just like she has many enemies today. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Verse 9. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. That's Elisha. Elisha followed the prophet Elijah and was one of the very first prophets in Israel. So the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. 
So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Every time the king took his army from one place to another, he would avoid a certain crossroad. He would avoid a certain city or town in order to avoid a conflict with the enemy. The king was on his guard. God is using Elisha, the prophet of vision, to protect Israel. Over and over and over again, they avoid the conflict. Verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me. Which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Why, none of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Well, go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men to capture him. So the report came back. He is in Dothan, verse 14. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and they surrounded the city. Now follow what's happening. Ben-Hadah II is no longer interested in the Israeli army. He's turned his whole army against one man, Elisha. You're going to find out in a moment it's two against about 2,000, okay? They surrounded the city, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God, this is someone who traveled with Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had completely surrounded the city. Oh, no, my lord. What shall we do? Again, can you imagine? You wake up, walk outside with your cup of coffee, and you're surrounded by an army. Okay? Keep reading. Verse 16, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Open his eyes, Lord, so he can see what I see. Open his eyes, Lord, so he can see what's been there all along. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked, he saw the hills full of horses and chariots and a fire all around Elisha. Okay, imagine. You walk outside first thing in the morning. It's time for your yoga exercises. It's time for your Tai Chi. And you find out that you're completely surrounded by the Syrian army unbelievable. But then somehow, God grants the opening of the eyes. And behind the Syrian army, the hills are filled with God's army, with horses, with chariots. The very man you serve is on fire. Open their eyes that they may see. That is my prayer for us today. As we kick off a brand new calendar year, 2023, Open our eyes so we can see what's been there all along. Open your eyes so you can see what God has for your family. Open your eyes so that we can see. Now, if we were to read on through the rest of the section down to verse 23, here's what happens. Elisha asked God to strike the Syrian army blind, and they lose their sight temporarily. Elisha walks out there, introduces himself to the leader. The leader can't see him. He says, Elisha is not here, but I'll take you where Elisha is. And so the blind Syrian army follows Elisha and his servant all the way back to Samaria, which is the capital of Israel. And when God restores the sight of the army, they open their eyes and they realize now they're surrounded by the Israeli army. 
Okay? King Jehoram turns to Elisha and says, should I kill them all? Should I wipe them out? Elisha says, no. Feed them and send them home. The king fed the enemy army, sent them home, and they never attacked Israel again. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with one of these. It's an eye chart. If you've ever been to an optometrist, you'd had to read this kind of a sign. I remember when I was younger, oh, I could read the tiniest of print at the farthest distance away. The older I get, the more that has changed. My goal today is to take us to the eye doctor. Elisha saw something that his servant didn't. But once the servant's eyes were opened, then he too could see what had been there all along. Let me ask you a question. What do you see? What do you see in 2023 for your family, for your marriage, for your checkbook, for your faith walk? What do you see in 2023? What can you visualize right now that's been there perhaps all along? Now you've got to go and get it. Can you visualize what you've been craving? I mean, you've thought about this for a long time. Three, four, five years or more, you've hashed this over and over and over again. Why haven't you realized your dream? Remember, in this life, we only see what we're prepared to see, and typically what we see is what we get. John Maxwell, the leadership guru of the 20th century, one of my heroes, I have many of his books in my office, he says there are basically four kinds of people in the world. Some people never, ever see it. They're the wanderers. These people lack vision. They never, ever see what's out there. We call them wanderers. They wander through life. They stumble through marriage. They wander through a career. They wander through a job, one aimless turn after another. They never achieve or accomplish anything because they're wanderers. They never see what's out there. There are others who do see it, but they never pursue it on their own. They're called followers. There are those who see it and pursue it. We call them achievers. And there are those who see it, pursue it, and help other people see it. We call them leaders. Today, I'm addressing my comments to the wanderers, the people who never see it. Remember, if you can't see it, you'll never, ever achieve it. You have to see it first. That requires vision. Elisha, God's man, God's prophet, he knew the battle had already been won. That's why he could see what no one else could see. The servant, he couldn't see it until God changed that for him. And when God allowed him to see it, everything changed. If God can allow the servant to see, if God can open the eyes of one who was, once was a wanderer, he can do the same for us. Let's begin at the very beginning, a very basic and simple question. What is vision? What is vision? If you work in any kind of company atmosphere, corporate atmosphere, I should say, you are familiar with the word vision. What is it? Obviously, I'm not talking about eyesight. You can have perfect eyesight and no vision. You can have 20-20 eyesight and no vision. In fact, I can think of nothing more horrible in the world than to have perfect eyesight but lack vision. Vision is the art of following dreams. It's an indispensable tool that God can use to better your life. You see, vision is what we're shooting for. It has nothing to do with where we are, per se. Where we are might be ugly. It might be unhappy. It might be uncomfortable, frustrating even. But as long as we can see where we're going, as long as we can see what's out there, 
It can change everything. Here's what vision is. Vision is the ability to see more than others see and before others see it. That's vision. Vision is the ability to see more than what other people can see and to see it before other people see it. Ours is a fast-paced culture. I mean, you've got to move. It's a pessimistic culture as well. It's never been more important for families, for fathers especially, leaders in the home, to see more than others can see. Culturally, I don't think we see a lot for marriage in our world. Culturally, I don't think we see a lot for family. I don't think we see what we're capable of spiritually speaking, or even in business. Vision is the ability to see what others see and then to see it before others. Do you realize that success is built on what a person can see and when they see it? The success of your home, the success of your marriage, the strength of your family, the progress in your faith walk is built upon what you see and when you see it. Everybody understands the sting of regret. If we were to reverse engineer this when we talk about vision, we all know what it feels like to regret not seeing it. Man, I wish I'd have seen that. Man, I wish I'd have seen that sooner. Man, if only she had told me. If only I had known. If only I had seen it before. We all get the back end of it. I'm talking about the front end of it because your success in any endeavor is built upon what you see and when you see it. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. The word could be translated vision. My people are suffering because they cannot see. They cannot connect the dots. Vision is the ability to see more than other people and to see it sooner. That means that vision equals strength. Vision usually equals success. That's what vision is. Now, here's the question. Where do I look for it? Where do I go and get it? Mike, can you recommend a book? I could read it, and afterwards, I'd be a person of vision. Not that easy. Not that simple. Not that prepackaged. Where do I go? Is vision something that I can practice and get better at it? Is vision something someone can teach me? If I have the right mentor, can a vision, can a mentor teach me to become a person of vision? Elisha in our story had it. We have no indication anywhere throughout the complete story of Elisha that Elisha was taught anything regarding seeing what was already there. No indication. So while Elisha had it, his servant did not. And follow me, I believe there's a principle here. I believe there's a message for us there. I believe that wisdom or vision comes to people who put themselves in a position to receive it. So the only difference between Elisha and his servant was Elisha had purposefully, intentionally put himself in a position to see what God was ready to reveal, and his servant did not. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 from the message, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves, but when they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. Did you get that? 
When people can't see what's out there, what God has in store for them, they stumble all over themselves. They just stumble their way through calendar year after calendar year. Financial indiscretion after financial indiscretion. Marriage problem after marriage problem. But when they attend to what God reveals, they're most blessed. Toward the middle of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 16, you can read about this for yourself, he turned to his disciples and he said, who do people think I am? And one of them said, well, they think you're Elijah from the Old Testament. You're one of the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah raised from the dead. Some say that you're John the Baptist come back to life. He turned to them and he said, who do you think I am? And Peter's the only one that spoke up. And Peter said, I say you are the Messiah. I believe you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And you know how Jesus responded? Blessed are you, Peter. Because only God can grant that kind of vision. Only God can open eyes in order that we may see. You see, our celebration service every Sunday when we gather, and by the way, I agree with everybody, this is really nice, isn't it? It's so nice to have those crazy things off the walls. It's so nice to have this done the way it is, the carpet. The new carpet even makes the chairs look new, and these chairs are 27 years old, if you can believe that. I love it, every part of it, but our celebration service when we gather is a weekly opportunity for you to position yourself to hear from God. You get a chance to respond to God's revelation because that's what we do. Every Sunday we open this book and we talk about it and I read from it and we try and teach it. What am I doing? I'm exposing us to God's revelation. We have a chance to see. You do the same thing in a small group when you study with three other ladies or four other men. You have coffee twice a month and you work through your study. In your family night together, when you establish family night, you do the same thing. In your own personal individual Bible study, you know what you're doing? You are positioning yourself to hear from God, to witness the revelation. You can discuss it. You can share it with your family. You can ponder it personally, meditate on it, something that sticks with you. That is vision. The 17th century notable Bible commentator Matthew Henry wrote the following. The opening of our eyes will be the silencing of our fears. In the dark, we're most apt to be frightened. The clearer sight we have of the sovereignty and power of heaven, the less we shall fear the calamities of this earth. I love that last part. The clearer sight we have of the sovereignty, the power of heaven, the less we'll fear the calamities of this earth. Simply stated, the bigger God becomes to you, the closer we get to discovering and reaching our dreams. Now, last question. How about me? All right, I know what vision is. I know it comes from God. Well, what about me? How do I do this? Where do I begin? Maybe you want to leave the wandering behind in 2023. Maybe you want 2023 to look very different from 2022 in the years before it. Maybe, like Elisha, you want to see what others cannot. It's time to get some things in check. It's time to take charge of your health. It's time not to be so reliant upon circumstance. It's time to lay something aside and leave it behind forever. It's time, and you know it. Well, where do you start? This is the year. It's going to take vision. That vision is going to come from God, but what do I do? 
four quick looks. Number one, you look inside. Look within you, what do you feel? Often it's our feelings that help us understand what we truly need. God can use our feelings to help us get a picture or an idea of what should be most important. So look within you. Your feelings will reveal what you need. Now it takes vision to see the solution. Number two is look behind you. Learn from your past. What have you learned in the past? Take note. If you failed before, maybe it was because you started after something without clearly seeing it in the first place. If you can't see it, you can't achieve it. Number three, and I think this is most important, look above you. Look up. What does God expect from you? What does God want from you? Are you faithful in the little areas that God has already revealed to you? Follow me, church. You'll never accomplish anything big until you learn to do the little things well. God's never going to grant you something enormous until you become faithful enough to respond to what he's already revealed. Look up. Number four, look beside you. What resources are available? Who can help you? Who can you turn to when you're losing steam? Who can assist you? Why not make 2023 the year of the plus one for you? Engage a plus one. Start family night in your home. Let us help you. Imagine a church filled with families that one night a week center that family around the word of God. They introduce the God dialogue into that home. Now that's going to be a strong family. That will produce and build a strong church. How about a small group? Say, I just don't know that. Look, do you know how wide and varied the small groups are in this church? We've got small groups with 28 people in them. I wouldn't call that small, but that's the way it went. They meet twice a month. We've got small groups that meet once a month. They all get together, and for two hours they have dinner. They eat together, the kids play together, and then they have a Bible study. We've got small groups of three people that meet for coffee every Thursday morning. We've got small groups of two men who meet for breakfast three times a week. We've got, the list goes on and on and on. Engage one of these. Put yourself in a position whereby God reveal himself to you. Because once you see it, now you can go after it. How can we help you? I wish I had time to develop each one of those. I mean, if you involve yourself in this church, you're going to find the encouragement that you need in 2023. I could spend a half hour probably on each one of those. Look within you, look behind you, look above you, look beside you. But God can do that as well this week. Maybe you could take one a day and on Monday take that inward look and write down some of your conclusions in the back of your Bible or in a journal or something. On Tuesday, you could take that look behind. Wednesday, the look above. Thursday, the look beside. Many years ago, there was a man by the name of Ignatz Jan Paderewski. He was an accomplished, some say the best in the world at the time, pianist and composer. In his younger years, he was actually the prime minister of Poland. He died in December of 1941. Having played all over the world, People would come from miles to hear him play the piano. Shortly before his death, he was scheduled to play in one of the largest concert halls in New York City. Hundreds and hundreds of people packed the house. It was a high society extravaganza kind of thing. I mean, you know, black tuxedos and formal dresses. 
On the 10th row, a fidgety little nine-year-old boy sat and could hardly stay still. His mother thought if she could bring him and let him hear the master, let him hear the greatest pianist the world had ever known, Paderewski, maybe the little boy would take his own piano lessons a little more seriously. Maybe if the little boy could get a glimpse at what he could grow up and be, that little boy would practice more diligently. Before the concert began, the little boy just couldn't stay still, and as soon as the mom turned around to speak to someone behind her, he slipped out into the aisle and he made his way down front to the stage. The lights certainly attracted him. That enormous Steinway on the stage, that beautifully tufted leather stool, he had never seen anything like this. He walked around and made his way up on stage, took his place behind the piano, laid his tiny little nine-year-old fingers on those keys, and began playing the only song that he knew by heart, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. You can imagine, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, how I... and he went on and on and on and on. Well, the buzz of the conversation in the auditorium finally died down enough for them to realize what was happening. And then everyone started laughing. There was a stagehand who wasn't nearly as so amused. He's saying, get that kid off the stage. Somebody stop him. All the while, the master, Paderewski, is standing behind the curtain, waiting to be announced. And when he saw what was happening, he walked up behind the little boy, took his hands outside the little boy's hands, and began playing a beautiful counter melody to the little boy's twinkle, twinkle, little star. It was later called the highlight of the entire performance. And all those who looked on could see the master leaning into that little nine-year-old boy and saying, don't quit, don't stop, keep playing, you're doing great, this is what we're here for, everybody loves it, you're doing so great, don't give up. And so it is for you and me. We're fumbling and stumbling our way through our pitiful little version of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star when it comes to our family or our business or our problems. And all the while, the master steps in behind us, and he says, don't give up. Don't stop. Don't quit. You can do this. You're doing really well. Now, I want you to see where we're going. You see, in life, we see only what we're prepared to see. And typically, what we see, that's what we get. Let's pray. Our Father in God... May 2023 be unlike the years prior to it. Father, I'm not so shallow-minded or immature to assume that means nothing but success. Father, often when we go after our dreams, we fail. We struggle, stumble, we, we run into obstacles that we never saw coming. But Father, what I'm talking about today is like your servant, Elisha. Father, help us understand that we're never going to ever grasp or achieve these things we believe to be so important if we can't see them to begin with. And maybe we don't see them because we've not put ourselves in a place to respond to your revelation. Help us, Father, do just that. May we begin this week and try like never before. Make us, men and women, young people, students, retired people, business owners, followers of Jesus Christ, 
who are people of vision. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, Grace Community Church. I hope you make it a fantastic week. I'll see you next time.